This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford today. Our confidence is in Christ alone. Are we going to stand with God come what may? That the word of God says it, I believe it. And that's the way it is. And now, here is Janet Mefford. Great to be with you again. What is it like to leave a life of homosexuality behind you? Well, today we're going to hear this story from one man who has traveled that road and found grace and redemption through Jesus Christ. Bob Fife is a Canadian businessman and author of the book we're going to be talking about today. It is called Out, One Christian's Experience of Leaving the Gay Community. And Bob, welcome. It's so great to have you here. It's great to be here. Well, thank you. This is really, it strikes me as a very courageous story to tell because I know a lot of people today say you can't ever do what you've done. Is that partly why you wanted to write about your life to show that it is possible to come out of that life? Oh, absolutely. Yes, absolutely. That's one of the uh, number of reasons, but that's a, a prime reason for sure. Yeah. Now, I want to just go back and let you tell your story. It's the best way, I think, of going through what you've been through. And take us back to the beginning, if you would, because I know you grew up in a rather large family. You talk in the book about how your dad was abusive. But tell us a little bit about what life was like for you growing up. Well, it was a it was a difficult childhood. I um, am the youngest of six kids. And my dad was uh, the kind of guy that was out there uh, with other women all the time. And I have many half-brothers and sisters. So you can appreciate that my mom did not want to bear another one of his kids. Mm-hmm. So it was, a, it was a really an unwanted childhood, uh, an unwanted birth. And I knew that from a very early, early age. Uh, even in conception, and uh, when it was time to be born, the doctors told my mom it was either going to be her or me, Mm. Uh, and uh, fortunately, it was both of us, but um, it was a difficult childhood, and I grew up with an abusive father and and a loving mother, Uh, but she had to spread herself pretty thin with six kids, and cover all the bases of of uh, pro, uh, protecting us and also providing for us, and so it was a it was a difficult childhood. And I had, I have to say, false identity of of a father and of a male uh, and masculine identity. So it had its it had its toll. Wow, that is very, very tough to have to go through something like that. But you went to church, didn't you, as a kid? I did. My mom was a, a believer, and uh, she took us to to church on a regular basis. And uh, I, I certainly um, appreciated that for the most part. And uh, but just not having 
a masculine image in my life um, to speak of, uh, it was it was difficult to to deal with a lot of the things that happened. And later on in my teen, early teens, I was sexually abused mm-hmm. uh, by my sister's boyfriend, and uh, I had wrong identity in that. I thought, wow, that's that's a, a part of love. That's a part of affection that I knew nothing about. Um, I don't ever remember sitting on my dad's knee or having any comfort from my father. So having a sexual encounter was uh, kind of a way of, of identifying, falsely identifying masculinity and uh, affection. Boy, that's awful. Now, how did you end up in the gay world, in the gay community, from the point when you were molested to your full embracing? Because I know that you got married and you had a son and you you went on to live, you know, a, a traditional life. But what happened in between the abuse and the time when you decided to go into the lifestyle kind of whole hog? Well, well, that's a good question, and it's a long question, so I'll try and break break it up a little bit. No problem. Um, what happened was, after the abuse, um, I would say maybe the course of a few months, um, it dissipated uh, in that uh, the, the chap who did it, uh, he moved on. I was left holding the bag, as it were, and not knowing just exactly what to do with it. I tried to deal with it by myself, um, and I managed to do it a little bit, but he, it just it came back to haunt me many, many times. And uh, But I, I kind of was able to put it aside. I didn't deal with it. I just put it aside, and I ended up dating girls and doing things uh, that the normal boy would do. And eventually I met my wife uh, at a a number of years down the road, and uh, we um, never talked about it, but we uh, certainly developed in the in the male and female uh, desire for each other uh, as a couple, and uh, we, after six years of courting, we got married, and it was great. We had a son, and all was well in that regard, but uh, it lingered with me. And uh, at one point down the road, I uh, I got away from the Lord. I I really had a a lot of activity going on in my life for work and different things, traveling, and I got away from the Lord, and and those things started to fester. I picked up a hitchhiker who was gay uh, at one time. And that started to open the gates a little bit, and uh, that was really the the time that I really moved towards realizing that I might be a homosexual. And how did you finally decide, I'm going to go into the lifestyle, you know, and I'm going to leave my family? I mean, how did you handle things with your family once those worlds collided? Well, it wasn't easy. I I told my wife about it, um, that I was struggling, and she was a nurse, and she was an amazing woman. She she didn't even 
uh, Flickr added, she was willing to work with me. She wanted us to get help. I thought that we could work it through ourselves, and we did. For about a year, I re- restrained from doing it, not that I didn't have desires and so on. I did, uh, but um, I just simply put it aside and tried real hard to make our marriage work and so on. And then I, I like I said, I got away on this trip and uh, and ended up meeting someone, and they told me all about the life style in in the city, uh, the bars, the bathhouses, the places where one could be um, able to go to and so on. And and so I I managed to uh, to do that um, unbeknownst to my wife. And so after a while, I just realized that I needed to come back and share again and just tell her that this is the way it was and it might be a good idea if she were to take Sean, my son, or our son, and go back and and spend some time with her mother so that I could find myself. Oh, my goodness. And that was, how long ago was that now? Oh, wow. (laughs) That was a long time ago. That was probably uh, way, uh, that was in the 70s, so you can... You can do the math. Yeah, quite a few years ago. It was quite a while ago. back, mm-hmm. and uh, yes. And it, yeah. Well, and there was so many repercussions, not just for you and for your wife, but I know also for your son, and you talk about that in the book, too. This is so important, I think, as far as people hearing what it's like for somebody to go through what you went through. And I want to go to a break. We're going to take a, a little short break here on Janet Meffer today, and we're going to come back discussing Bob Fife's book called Out, One Christian's Experience of Leaving the Gay Community. We'll come back right after this. Are you in need of a healthcare program? You're in luck. As a member of Liberty HealthShare, you're part of a community that comes together to share their medical expenses. You can sign up throughout the year with memberships starting as early as the following month. And there are no contracts or commitments. Programs start as low as $349 per month. And there's no network, so you can choose your own doctors and hospitals. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit ministry, not insurance. So your money goes toward helping other members with their eligible medical expenses. And in your time of need, other members are there for you too. You can feel good knowing you're part of a community of like-minded individuals who understand the importance of people coming together to bear one another's burdens. Find out more at libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. That's libertyhealthshare.org slash jmt. Or call now, 855-565-2561. 855-565-2561. 
Since Roe v. Wade, more than 60 million babies' lives have been taken through abortion, and there are millions of additional preborn babies whose lives are still at risk. But the Ministry of Preborn stands in the gap with young moms in crisis, helping them to choose life. When I saw my baby for the first time on an ultrasound, I just felt so shocked and so surprised. I was just so scared. After learning all my options, I chose life. It was important for me to make the right choice. Preborn is the largest provider of free ultrasounds in the United States. They're the direct competition to Planned Parenthood, helping moms to make the choice of life. And you can help. One ultrasound is just $28. Would you join with Preborn in the cause for life? To donate, call now, 855-402-BABY. That's 855-402-2229. All gifts are tax deductible. 855-402-2229. Or there's a banner to click at Janet Meffer. You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today. My guest is Bob Fife, and his book is called Out One Christian's Experience of Leaving the Gay Community. And Bob is taking us through his journey from growing up in an abusive home to his abuse uh, at the hand of his sister's boyfriend and then getting married and then realizing that he wanted to be involved in the homosexual lifestyle. Bob, let's pick it up a little bit where you had left off. You had been married and you had a little boy and you were kind of involved in the gay lifestyle and, and getting into some of the bar life and so forth. And then you decided you wanted to go full force into the gay lifestyle. And from that point, what happened? Your wife took your son, and what happened to your family at that point? Well, my wife and son went to the west coast of of Canada, and I remained in, in Toronto. And I had a lot to deal with. I had a, a very good position, job position, but that... Uh, I decided to drop and and just go away. I went to Europe for a year to try and find myself, to try and get rid of the guilt uh, before God and before my family, and uh, and buried myself in in all the activity in major cities across Europe. And then I came back and I uh, got another job and then I went away again and just kept moving towards uh, pleasure and... uh, yeah, I ended up um, uh, getting very involved. I managed gay bars. I was uh, uh, head of the Gay Business Council in the city. Hmm. I played in the Gay World Series. I was really engulfed in the gay community. Wow. Well, what happened to your relationship with your little boy during that time? Well, I managed to see him once when he was about eight years old. I... Uh, I worked for an airline, so I had the privileges of travel. So I went out and I saw him uh, briefly for a while. My wife allowed me to see him. She never wanted me to visit him on a regular basis because she didn't want a Santa Claus daddy. She didn't want somebody who was going to come and bear gifts and then go away and leave her with the brunt. And I fully understood that, and I accepted that. So it caused a great deal of uh, distance between my son and I, so I didn't see him again after that encounter until uh, he was about 20 years old. Yes. And at that time, that was a time that he came to visit me in uh, Toronto, and uh, he came, I didn't even recognize him at the airport, 
but he came and we spent some time together. And that was the beginning of me uh, realizing that the life that I was in was not all that fulfilling and that I was, I was certainly uh, ready to listen to him. And, and we sat on the balcony of my apartment in, in downtown Toronto and, uh, and shared some amazing story. Yes. Well, one of the things I know, you tell the story right at the beginning of the book, and one of the fascinating things was something Sean said to you, that he loved you unconditionally, and that you say uh, that really struck you when he said that. Absolutely. I, uh, I, I can honestly say that I had never heard anything quite like that, and the word dad was just penetrating. Oh. I hadn't heard that for uh, a long time, and... Uh, it was music to my ears, and it really gave me to think uh, about it and to think of where I was and the distance between my son and I and the distance between myself and God. Yes. And when he said that, he also said that, and you know what, Dad? God's love for you is unconditional. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, wow, <laughs> all the time that I've spent in this gay life and everything and all the all the relationships and all of the encounters were all conditional. They all had conditions that I had to meet. But to have unconditional love from my son and then to know it was from God, I was just so uh, touched and and moved by that that God spoke to me uh, in a big way. And it was from that time until this time, many years later, that God has revealed himself and showed himself uh, in miraculous ways and given me victory uh, that I, I needed to tell my story. I needed to show to the world, as it were, that there's hope mm-hmm. and that God is the answer and loved ones and church involvement and so on are many of the reasons why I'm here today. That is really neat. How did you get from that moment where you heard your own son say, my love is unconditional and God's love is unconditional, and you said, you know, if I could leave this lifestyle, I would. How did you? How did it finally happen that you were able to break free? Well, I actually have a chapter in my book uh, that says, what have I done? (laughs) Like, can I really deal with this? Have I made a mistake? Is it possible? And uh, I had to work things through in that regard. And and I would say, Janet, that a lot of people say, well, you just need to let go and let God. Hmm. And that's not true. No. God's way is a two-way street. And he desires us to get really involved in seeking him and loving him and, and praying to him and giving thanks to him and entering into the partnership that we have with him as his child. And so I, I worked those things through. I got involved in a gay uh, ex-ministry that was very helpful. I especially got involved with the local church, shared my story with the elders of the church, had the warmth and comfort of their love and, and care for me. Um, and then I just, engulfed myself in those things and established a, an incredible relationship with God on a regular daily basis that I could uh, relate to. And, and it just grew. 
and that's where I got victory over the the sin that uh, so easily beset me. Wow. And uh, so I, yeah, I. That's basically what happened. Is I just got involved. I did what God wanted me to do. He led the way, and I walked in it. That is incredible. And that's no small story, because that is some serious spiritual work that has to be done. I know, having spoken to people who've gone through what you've gone through, it is very involved. And and you had a lot of issues to work through, I'm sure, because of your dad and because of the abuse and so forth. How did God heal you of those tragedies and those things that were so instrumental in shaping your life? Well, when you know what he's doing for you, um, and I did... I couldn't believe, I I just, I knew one of the biggest things that I needed to do was to be thankful and take responsibility for all things, including forgiveness to my dad. And I did forgive him. We, we established a friendship in the latter years. um, And uh, the very day that he passed away, uh, I was on my way up to see him. Uh, So it was, it was, it was healing for me, for my family. There's a lot of neat stories in the book, even in regards to my mom, where I needed to identify properly with her, and we had a confrontation and so on. The book covers a lot of detail as to how church and how family can get involved in assisting and helping the individual. Uh, and so that one of just one of the reasons why I wrote the book so that I could show that there is help through God and through others. Yes, that's right. Well, what is it like now on the other side of the equation, having gone through everything you've experienced? You know, we are not robots. None of us is. We always struggle with sin until we're with Christ, regardless of what our sins are. But mm. has it been really difficult for you to leave that lifestyle? Because I'm sure you had a lot of close friends and you had a lot of associates and people you cared about in that community. And I'm just wondering how hard that was to be able to break free of that and and what that, you know, what kind of toll that may have taken on you? Well, you know, it's amazing. Um, I did have a lot of friends in that, uh, in that community. But as soon as I shared my story, um, and as soon as I was, you know, not maybe um, smoking a joint or um, going to where they were, as opposed to them coming where I was, um, it, it started to fade away. And I realized that, that it wasn't as real and it wasn't as, un- it certainly wasn't unconditional. It had a lot of conditions, and, and I needed to meet those in order to satisfy those friends and so on. And I, I decided that I needed to um, break. Um, I didn't do it um, systematically or anything. It just kind of happened. And some of those friends that I had, I've had communion, uh, communication with them and so on, but the friendships dissipated. It, it just it just happened. I, I, I couldn't, um, I couldn't do much about it. Right. So to those who say, if you are ever um, involved in the homosexual lifestyle, you can't change. What do you say to those people? Oh, wow. I say to them, then they, they need to um, know that God's plan is, is that of a healthy identity um, in relation to male, female, um, 
working through all the issues that that uh, are contributing to that uh, lifestyle from an early, early age. And then as you work through those issues and so on, then you come to grips with what it's all about. Yeah. And the book really, Janet, is, gearing, is geared towards those that are looking to leave, wanting to be free. It's not for those that are solely satisfied and content where they are. I'm not trying to appeal to those uh, individuals. I'm trying to appeal to those that are unsatisfied. Well, I can understand. And what a book out by Bob Fife. Thank you so much, Bob. And we'll be back. This archived broadcast of Janet Meffer Today is brought to you by Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare is a nonprofit healthcare sharing ministry that allows you to control and manage your own healthcare and choose any doctor or hospital in the nation. If you're a freedom-loving American looking for contract-free healthcare, call now, 855-585-4237, or go to libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT for more information, libertyhealthshare.org slash JMT. This is Janet Mefford Today, and now, here's your host, Janet Mefford. We are back on Janet Mefford Today, and we are just months away now from the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, but it is always surprising to me how few modern evangelicals really know about Martin Luther and how few have ever read anything that he's written. My next guest is helping Christians learn more about Luther and his theology in a new book that is a carefully selected collection of the great reformers' writings and lectures. Dr. Jack Kilcrease is professor of historical and systematic theology at the Institute of Lutheran Theology and co-editor of the new book. We'll be talking about Martin Luther in his own words, Essential Writings of the Reformation. And such a joy to have you here, Dr. Kilcrease. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks. Uh, thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. Talk a little bit, if you would, about Luther's significance in the history of the Church and why it really is important for Christians to not only know who he is, but to read what he wrote. Um, I mean, Luther is uh, important because uh, he got the uh, ball, I, I guess you could say, of the Reformation going. Uh, I don't really subscribe to kind of a great man theory of history, that there are just these special individuals that move things along, but... I would say that the Protestant Reformation probably would have happened without Luther, but it took on uh, his particular peculiar uh, character because of the impact, I think, of his personality and uh, also his theology. And um, whether or not you're Lutheran, as I am, uh, or a different uh, denomination of Protestantism, uh, many of his uh, thought forms and ideas... Uh, are built into the uh, structure of other forms of Protestantism. So, for example, uh, his doctrine of the authority of Scripture alone or his belief in uh, justification by faith. Uh, And so where um, you may, within your particular tradition of Protestantism, have some significant disagreements with him, uh, particularly on issues like the sacraments, um, the... um, Many of the uh, key ideas of the Reformation, the sol- sometimes called the solas, yes. uh, are, tr- are uh, tr- 
true across uh, denominational lines for uh, Protestants as opposed to Roman Catholics. Absolutely. Well, you know, it's kind of interesting to me because I really started reading some of Luther's works when I was in my early 20s. I had grown up in a semi-Lutheran tradition, but I had never actually read Luther. And I think part of it was because the mere name intimidated me. He was held up as such a revered figure in history. And I thought it must be so scholarly and so over the top. Nobody like me could ever really understand him. And that really shocked me when I began to read Luther. He's very easy to understand. And I'm wondering if you have found the same thing. Obviously, he was a a very, very bright man and understood the Bible extremely well. But what about the accessibility of Luther's works? Uh, Yeah, I think uh, his works in general are are accessible. Many of them uh, are intended to be either popular essays written um, with the laity in mind or... Uh, I mean, his, his his largest collection of works is really his uh, sermons, which are meant to be preached to people who, uh, many of whom were actually illiterate. So. Yes. Right, right. <laughs> right. So, uh, you know, uh, he is a very accessible theologian. I mean, he does have more academic and scholarly works. His disputations would be one example. But sure. I probably wouldn't start out reading those. No. <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, but most of his work is uh, pastorally aimed, so it's, uh, I think, very accessible to people of all... Um, levels of theological knowledge. Yes, an important encouragement before we dive into this. So you've separated out some of the most important works of Martin Luther, or Martin Luther in his own words, under the categories of these rallying cries of the Reformation, the five solas, the first being sola fide, or faith alone. And you Mm -hmm. chose on Christian liberty. This is one of the classics a lot of people may know about calling, as Luther did, the Christian free Lord of all and subject to none. And I'm interested a little bit to hear the context and for people to understand the context of this treatise. What was going on right that in that period of history that made Luther want to take a stand on Christian liberty? Um, well, uh, Christian liberty is written as part of three treatises that set out Luther's sort of reformational agenda. Um, this is He wrote these in the wake of his... Um, uh, excommunication by um, Pope uh, Leo X after the controversy over the issue of uh, indulgences, uh, which began in 1517. Uh, mm-hmm. Now, when he began his uh, protest against the sale of indulgences, uh, his position was um, uh, a uh, peculiar position within the Catholic Church theologically, but he was still within uh, the mainstream of Catholicism. Uh, but because of his debates with Catholic thinkers over the issues of penance and indulgences, um, he came to rethink the entire question of justification. Uh, in uh, Justification means how do we stand as uh, righteous before God. Yes. And the uh, teaching of the late medieval church, as is, of course, of the current Roman Catholic Church, is that um, God gives you spiritual power to become righteous within yourself, and then God looks upon you and says, hey, you're righteous. <laughs> and uh, Luther's understanding is that uh, we in ourselves are never righteous, um, even if we do g- good works, right. um, and that Jesus himself is our righteousness. Right. And so um, because Jesus is our righteousness, he, he writes in the treatise, uh, we're free because, uh, in terms of our conscience and its relationship to God, um, 
there's no law which accuses us um, any longer, uh, and we are free from any kind of legal relationship with God. Uh, we are not bounded. Um, we have a spiritual freedom. But that spiritual freedom, in turn, uh, makes us free to use God's commandments to help our neighbors out, because, as he says, God does not need our good works, but our neighbor does. Uh, and so then we can help others and live out our vocations in society um, for the right reasons, not to earn a relationship with God, which would actually be a form of selfishness, yes. but uh, to um, thank God for the wonderful things that he's given us in Jesus Christ. Excellent. Well, and also with sola gratia, this is grace alone. There's this reference to Paul's letter to the Romans. Many people will know of Luther's commentary on Romans. And in this, as you say, he gives a full systematic exposition of Paul's distinction between law and gospel. This is a part and parcel of Lutheranism even today, the distinction between law and gospel. Why was that such a significant theological development in the history of the church? Um, because uh, the, in the in the ancient church, uh, at least in the uh, Latin uh, incarnation, the, the Western uh, one, the one that spoke Latin, uh, they developed an understanding that the gospel was not Christ's unilateral promise of salvation uh, to Christians, but it was rather a new and better law. Um, and so, through the Middle Ages, this developed. Um, into um, a uh, understanding of different uh, levels of uh, Christian obedience. So regular people just try to essentially obey the Ten Commandments, and then people who are monks uh, can move a step for, uh, step further and do the evangelical councils. Uh, and so Luther's understanding of uh, salvation by grace alone entails that that grace be mediated through a word, uh, and that word is the gospel, which is a promise, a unilateral promise, and that is distinct from God's commandments, which are good and holy and uh, should be preached in the Church, but they have different functions. Uh, they have the function of keeping order in society. Uh, they have the function of instructing instructing Christians about how to live holy lives. Um, but their primary function is to show us our sin, and therefore our need for Christ. Uh, and uh, for that reason, um, Christ is uh, glorified, and we and our works are not uh, glorified. Yes, and that, that was really an important thing for him personally, because he had tried so hard to attain righteousness as a monk. I mean, he, he was the one who was really browbeating himself in so many different ways to try to get to God and be more holy, and he understood the, the futility of that. It's all of Christ. So that is just a, an added bonus when you're reading some of these things that Luther had to write on this subject. You can understand that he really felt it all the way deep down into his soul because he had been through the experience. Well, we're going to take a very quick break. Martin Luther, in his own words, Dr. Jack Kilcrease with us, and we'll come back on Janet Meffer today after this. Hi, this is Kirk Cameron, and I am honored to be partnering with the Ministry of Preborn to help moms choose life. Actor Kirk Cameron supports Preborn. My four 
oldest children were adopted. That is because of caring and compassionate people who help those young mothers choose life. My wife is an adopted child and her birth mother chose life for her. If it weren't for those caring individuals that help those young moms value the sacredness of life, I wouldn't have my wife, I wouldn't have my four adopted children, and the two natural born children that we have wouldn't exist either. My whole family is here because of people that are involved with ministries like Preborn. Preborn funds pregnancy centers across the nation so they can offer free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies. Ultrasound is a game changer because when abortion minded women actually see their babies in their wombs for themselves 80% of the time they choose life would you please join us at Janet Mefford today to support the ministry of preborn for $140 you can provide five free ultrasounds to women in crisis pregnancies one ultrasound is just $28 and every gift helps to donate please call now 855 855- 402 baby that's 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com all gifts are tax deductible and 100% of your gift goes directly towards saving babies you can get involved and you can help save a life for a gift of $140 five free ultrasounds will be offered to women in crisis pregnancies please call now with your gift 855-402 baby that's 855-402 baby 855-402-2229 or there's a banner to click at janetmefford.com You're listening to Janet Mefford today. And now, here's Janet. We are back on Janet Mefford today, talking about Martin Luther in his own words, some essential writings of the Reformation. And this is a book Dr. Jack Kilcrease has co-edited, and he is professor of historical and systematic theology at the Institute of Lutheran Theology. One of the things that you also put into the book, Dr. Kilcrease, is some of the excerpts from the large catechism. And the, the small catechism, the large catechism by Luther, obviously have been used for hundreds of years for cate, you know, catechesis and instruction of children and, and even adults. But what about the, the development? I'm curious about the development of the large catechism and, and how this kind of came together and what sort of importance Luther put into catechesis. Um, well... Um, after his initial sorts of um, uh, calls for reform were sort of rebuffed by the uh, Emperor of Germany, um, his local um, duke sort of said, well, let's just do the Reformation. Uh, And so they set up uh, visitations to look at what was actually going on in um, the churches out in the country, in particular, and in villages and so forth. And uh, what they found actually kind of horrified them, uh, because uh, in, in the late medieval church, um, the, the emphasis was all on the simple performance of ritual, and so actual instruction of people was not considered all that important. So the priests themselves who were running the churches um, knew very little, and the people were engaged in a lot of uh, gross immorality and also didn't know anything about Christianity. Um, so uh, he was, you know, fairly horrified by this. Uh, he said that the people were living like swines. And so the, the goal of the catechisms is that you have a shorter catechism where 
um, the basics of the Christian faith are taught, the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer, the Apostles' Creed, uh, and then the, the sacraments of baptism and the Lord's Supper, and then a brief thing on confession and absolution. And then you have uh, a large catechism, which is sort of, I guess you call a leader's guide. And um, the idea was that since families would typically be organized into kind of a, an extended household that would include um, uh, kind of a, I guess you could say, a patriarch, and then um, women, and then servants, and um, children, uh, you would have them memorize the small catechism with its sort of short, pithy formulas um, about different aspects of the faith. And then you would have the house father, so to speak, uh, uh, instruct everybody on the basis of the large catechism. That was kind of the idea. Yeah. Interesting. Well, and you have, for example, under the category of uh, Sola Gratia, you have the third article of the Apostles' Creed, which is the work of the Holy Spirit. Why include that one? And why is that an important work of Luther's, uh, an important section of his writing on this subject of grace alone? Uh, because uh, Luther understood that the Holy Spirit um, works through uh, the means of grace, in particular the Word and then the sacraments, and calls people to uh, repentance and faith through those means. Uh, he doesn't. His, his understanding, I, I think, would be um, very different than perhaps some people in American Christianity who see the Spirit operative uh, in other ways, yes. uh, and that could right. be an area of disagreement. Uh, so, right. but it's it's the Holy Spirit uh, working through the Word that um, causes faith in the heart to be created and uh, sanctifies. Uh, Believers, so it's the work alone of the Holy Spirit, and it's He's operative through the uh, through the Word. So the Holy Spirit, the presence of the Holy Spirit, is the presence of grace. Yes, very good. Now, sola scriptura, absolutely central to the whole discussion. All the solas are important, but you included the bondage of the will. Now, the bondage of the will is one of the main books and the main works of Luther that many people will have heard of, even even if they don't have a Lutheran background. Talk a little bit about that, because there was this debate with Erasmus. Some people have heard that name. But the essence of it was deciding to what extent man can choose good and evil. And what was the essence of that debate? What was going on in this particular work of Luther's? Uh, yeah, I mean, you have two questions um, that Erasmus, who was uh, I, um, what's called a humanist, not like uh, a humanist like Richard Dawkins, like he wasn't an atheist or something, but a humanist meant somebody who was interested in the humanities, like art and uh, letters and things like that. And he had been calling for the reform of the Catholic Church, but he didn't like Luther's ideas. <laughs> and so he was getting lumped with Luther. And so to distinguish himself from Luther, he wrote a book called um, On the Freedom of the Will, called uh, De Liberum Arbitrium in Latin. And he makes two arguments. Uh, one, the Bible isn't actually clear about pretty much anything. <laughs> um, so you either have to rely on the Church to interpret it for you, or just choose whatever theological position is most expedient to encouraging people to be moral, uh, basically. Uh, and then secondly, um, you know, we should encourage people to believe that they have free will, because if, they, if we don't encourage them to believe they have free will, then they won't try to be good, essentially. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Luther um, really didn't like either of those things. The first part is about, so the first part that he deals with the issue of, of Scripture, and he says, uh, Scripture is clear on two distinct levels. Uh, on one level, um, it's uh, clear because it has a historical grammatical meaning, and you can look at a dictionary and figure out what the words mean and figure them out. 
And then another level, um, Scripture is clear because Jesus is the center of Scripture, and the grace that Jesus brings is the center of Scripture. And when the Holy Spirit opens your heart and mind to see that, everything harmoniously works together to reveal Christ, and that makes uh, puts all the doctrines in the right place, so to speak. Uh, so, uh, secondly, he, want, he says, okay, so Scripture is clear, and so we can clearly answer the question. Uh, the, the other question that Erasmus raises, do people have a free choice when it comes to their salvation? Um, now, Luther says no, but the answer, but he doesn't mean uh, by this that uh, human beings are robots or that God somehow manhandles them into uh, salvation. Um, uh, just in the same way that um, an apple tree gives off apples because that's its nature. Humans, after the fall, sin because that's their nature. That's right. what they want to do. Yeah. You do what you want to do. Um, so for human beings to get saved, then, uh, God has to give them a new heart. There has to be, a, as the Old Testament says, a circumcision of the heart where they desire to trust in God above all things and love God above all things. And when, that's, when that new heart is essentially placed within them, then just as an apple tree naturally gives off apples, they naturally trust in, in God and uh, love God. But people can't do that themselves because they're not the authors of their own desires, in the same way that, um, you know, if you like chocolate cake, you like chocolate cake, right? right I mean, right. you can make the decision not to eat chocolate cake, but it doesn't make you not... Uh, want to eat it, right? Yes. Uh, so in the same way, uh, God has to give you a new heart. Uh, otherwise, you know, you don't have any ability to choose having a new heart, so to speak, because precisely because you don't want to, right? Right, so. exactly. If I'm recalling correctly, because it's been a long time since I read that book, but Luther also has some really choice language with Erasmus, not anything over the top, but he had he had a real earthy way about him, didn't he? And he would kind of throw insults back and forth with Erasmus. People will get that personality when they read some of his works, too. Yeah, I would say that's true. Um, uh, I didn't include any pieces with uh, what's called scatological uh, language, um, uh, talking about uh, dung uh, and yeah. like that, he, which he's rather fond of. So, yes. Um, <laughs> Best but. to leave that aside a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. He was a real person. And, and that's what is I appreciate about reading some of his works, that the person shines through, not just the theologian. Would you say mm-hmm. there's so many good things in the book and people really need to read it and really need to read each of the pieces here under each of the categories? Is there one that stands above the others? Uh, certainly, they're voluminous works of Luther. But among the ones in the book, is there any that you would say rise above the others in terms of importance? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like the um, I like the selection from Bondage of the Will because I think that one thing that's contested uh, right now um, in in some circles in American Christianity is this clarity of Scripture, and I think that his approach to clarity of Scripture uh, makes a lot of sense. It's really kind of logically coherent. Yeah. Uh, I would also think that the on Christian liberty is very important uh, as well as a way of understanding uh, justification. Yes. Uh, lastly, um, I think that the preface to uh, the Romans, or Paul's letter to the Romans, is really important because it, it just lays out just a very coherent um, interpretation of the Book of Romans, uh, and you'll get um, the main point of the Gospel uh, 
all right there. So I think that's those, sort of, those are the ones that kind of stand out to me. All really good ones. And they're all good. It's just such a good compilation of some of the essential writings of Martin Luther. So as we are up upon this 500th anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, if you haven't read Luther, you need to. The name of the book, Martin Luther, In His Own Words. And Dr. Jack Kilcrease has been joining us. And it was great to have you here, Dr. Kilcrease. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting me. You are very welcome. God bless you, and thanks a lot for being here. Thanks for being with us here on Janet Mefford today. We'll see you next time. God bless, and thanks a lot for listening.